the first moment you could see kids figure out that like all the scribbles on a page, those were letters and those letters made words and they could get a message and a story. Figuring that out on their own and seeing their brains click and unlock that has always been my absolute favorite moment of teaching. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 11 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. This episode is super special to me. Had such a great time sitting down with my dear friend Darcy Brodsky from Texas this week. Darcy is a total rock star, an elite educator, and a badass runner mom who's having a profound impact on her community down there in Texas. At an early age in life, when most of us are asked what we want to be in school, the answers are usually a pro athlete, a movie star, or perhaps a singer in a rock and roll band. But Darcy got the call in a different direction at a super early age and always knew that she wanted to be a teacher. It's one of the most fun stories I've heard anybody tell on the show. And I have to tell you, when she told it, I think she flashed back to her childhood. I felt like she went all the way back talking about that moment in life when she knew what she wanted to be. It's super fun and super special. We traced her teaching background all the way back to 2008, where she first got her start in Savunga, Alaska. They moved to Anchorage in 2010, and she began focusing again on on the science of reading and digging in further on those types of programs and the impact that she could have. And in 2015, when they moved to Texas, she focused on becoming a reading specialist, working with struggling readers and supporting teachers in the classroom that needed additional assistance to help these kids succeed. In 2016, she became a dyslexia therapist and focused on the kids who need the help the most. And from there, I think she truly has found her calling in life and uh, is, is really having a remarkable impact on these children, teaching them to read and helping them you know, find their way. It's just really awesome stuff. And that's, that led to her winning Teacher of the Year in 2019, which is, is really um, something special. Of course, she tried to give all the credit away to all the other teachers and colleagues that she works with, which is pretty much the way Darcy operates. Uh, she's an incredibly humble person um, who's very empathetic and always focused on other people's needs. And uh, it's a really endearing quality and something we all should aspire to for sure. But um, she's doing super special things, not only in the classroom. She also um, took the unique step of starting a running program for the kids in her school, which is called Run HBE, which is simply the letters for her school. And um, there were three teachers um, that helped her get this off the ground. It was Sarah Head, Kate Olson, and Vanessa DelVal are helping um, Darcy administer the program and keep it growing and build momentum. And my gosh, am I proud of her for doing something like that, taking her love of running personally and bringing it uh, to the classroom and to the kids and getting them out there, getting them active and doing some wonderful things with the sport that we all love. So I think you can all tell Darcy's somebody super special to me and certainly to her students and her family uh, back home in Texas. We, We also, of course, spent quite a bit of time talking about her own running and what her journey has been like and her big overall goal, her big overarching goal to uh, achieve a BQ one day. And I have no doubt that she's going to get there. So it's a super exciting episode for me. Um, I enjoyed this conversation so much. 
and I hope you all will too. So let's dive on in and give it a listen. Darcy Brodsky, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is this is good stuff. Via Zoom, not quite the same as face to face. I'd rather be down be down there in Texas hanging out with uh, you and the family crew and the littles. But uh, I see they're sequestered and they're not going to be part of the episode. Yeah, I was uh, holding out for a face to face, but. That's going to be a ways off. So we're out of the house and doing some spoiling by grandparents. Grand- grandparents are in charge of Iker. Is it Iker and Carter Grace? Did I get my names right? Iker and Carter. Yeah. Good stuff. I miss them. They're a lot of fun. Always, always fun. And meeting them down in uh, Houston was a blast. So um, we met uh, through Rogue Renegade Training Group. And uh, as I talked about with Amanda, who was two guests back, uh, I decided with my wisdom, uh, the crazy decisions that I make in my life that make no sense at all, that when Steve Sisson started talking about the 30-mile no-nutrition run that the Rogue Group does out of Austin, that I would just show up down there and do the run with them. And you were one of the first ones. Uh, I floated it. You know, I had texted Steve privately and Steve was like, wait, you want to come down and do this run with us? Like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm, why not? I mean, I'll have some company. He's like, yeah, sure. Come on down. And uh, I remember in our Renegade group, which is like the Facebook chat group, if you will, you know, you were one of the very first ones that said, oh, if you go down, I'll go down. And then Amanda was like, I'll go down. And I'm trying to remember who else we had at least one or two others that were with us. Who who else was with us? Josh was there with his wife. And yes, Josh and his wife. I think that was that was it from the Renegades. It was Josh and his wife because remember I got that crazy rash that I broke out in, which I've subsequently ended up finding out is a celiac symptom. Um, stress sometimes with celiac, you know, flying and being in a rush, and I was on a tight schedule to get down there. I almost missed my flight can trigger that. It's it's literally almost like getting poison ivy. And I, I was like covered in hives. And I'm going like, what am I going to do? And I think I was, I was messaging with you, right? And you were like, and then Josh, actually, Josh was like, well, do you need me to come by? And I could take you to the store and get some stuff. But the, at the hotel I was staying at, somebody just drove me over. And I don't remember if I got calamine lotion and Benadryl, which saved it. It was really the Benadryl, obviously, the antihistamine. But yeah, that could have come off the rails. And I and we may never have actually met because I would have been down there and not have done the run. But yeah, that's where, that's where we got our intro. And we rocked the 30-mile no-nutrition run with the Team Rogue crew. And then we had our amazing brunch, which... Tell everybody about that brunch because that was pretty awesome. Well, you know, after I didn't run 30 miles because I'm not as badass as you and Amanda. Um, but after running for what, like four hours on a long run and not eating anything since the night before, um, anything would have would have been great. But that brunch was that was what dreams were made of. Uh, I never ate avocado toast before then, but I will eat avocado toast and copy that and reminisce about those that that afternoon and hanging out and getting to know everyone. And that, I think that was the first time we kind of all bonded and became friends more than just, you know, sharing some workouts and stuff online. 
Oh, 100%. Um, you're right. And it was Jean. Jean. Jean was also with us from the Rogue. She wasn't in our Renegade training group, but she was a Team Rogue running member. She was the other person that joined us. And you're absolutely right. It's so funny how food can be. And I don't know how many other uh, Run Chat listeners have this thing, but um, I'm a huge foodie and I love food and and wine and good drink. Um, and you know we have the celiac thing that you and I share, um, but it just, it leaves it this incredible discernible memory that doesn't go away. You mentioned it. Every single time I have avocado toast, I think of you and Amanda. And it's not that I don't think of Josh or the rest of our crew, but it's just the two of you because we were talking about the menu and who's going to order what so we could all share. It just leaves that such a poignant memory. And it's the truth. Every time I have it, I think of you too. So it's a cool memory. I think we all ordered a, a second round of food after that too. Oh yeah, we we did not get cheated that day. And I think, didn't they have gluten-free beer too? I'm pretty sure they had gluten-free beer. Yeah, we, we knocked back a couple of those with the, the toast and we had but it was yeah we uh, the rest of it's all a blur but it was the toast and i can't remember what everybody else had but that was that was primarily our our thing so um that's how we actually connected and uh with that training group which is awesome by the way and now um we've branched off and there's many subgroups that exist uh where we're all out in the universe and of course we have the space force so i don't know if that's in the yeah space force is in the universe right so we're um we're all still connected there and we've all taken many different journeys with our training, and obviously none of us are racing at this point. Um, but I just think uh, in the COVID times we're in, you know, me being here in the epicenter here in New York, it's just just completely crushed people's spirits um, in many ways, and it's just beaten people down. Um, I'm doing some some charity stuff for frontline healthcare workers myself. I work in healthcare technology, so I have. Uh, service team and technical team members of mine that are on the front line as well. So colleagues of mine, um, there's people that are just, um, they're at their wits end and they're just really, they're fried. And I think at times like this, it's important to find like people that you have a lot of respect for, people that are doing really wonderful things in the community. And my guest last night, uh, Dr. Bill Johncock is just somebody I'm, I'm just proud to know as a friend. He's just doing wonderful things. Uh, his son, has Angelman syndrome and um, it's similar to cerebral palsy, but he pushes them in the chair and they run marathons together and they spread joy. They're just uh, beautiful people and beautiful family and doing a lot of wonderful things in the community. So that was a wonderful episode and I enjoyed it immensely. And um, to have you on back to back just really makes me happy uh, because you do amazing things uh, as a teacher in the community. And, you know, I've gotten to know um, some of those things. Um, you're the last person to uh, take any credit or praise for anything. It's not your style. But to win Teacher of the Year in Texas is, uh, you know, think about it. It's like the biggest state. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, and you won Teacher of the Year. So that's really awesome. And uh, I know what you specialize in just because we've gotten to know each other. But talk a little about your education history, how you got started on that path, and, you know, like the impact um, you're able to have with these kids in the classroom? Yeah, so I was the kid who always knew I was going to be a teacher. Um, when I played, the only thing I really ever played was school. Uh, all my dolls were lined up. All of my stuffed animals were my students. Um, sometimes I just taught to like a cardboard box in my basement, reading old like encyclopedias off the bookshelf to them. Like I what I was doing, but that was what that was fun for me. Um, so it was never a question that teaching was where I wanted to be. And I 
went to school for that and um, went to an amazing school that really specialized in growing educators and preparing me. So I had a solid foundation when I started. I actually started my teaching career on a small island in the Bering Sea, uh, St. Lawrence Island in the village of Savunga. And my first class is graduating this year. So I am so proud that they are now off into the world. They're adults. And um, it makes me really excited to see them be successful because I haven't been, you know, their teacher for a year. They're, they're my first class. They have that special place in my heart. Um, a little more special than all of my kids who, who are there just because they were my first class. And I'm, you know, seeing them pop up on Facebook and where they're going to school. Uh, I just saw a couple of days ago that some of them got scholarships to go to college, which is a huge deal. And so I'm so proud of them. But that's where I got my start. And um, first grade is what I taught for two years out there and really took an interest in specializing in reading. Like when it was reading time, that was my favorite 90 minutes of every day. And from the first moment you could see kids figure out that like all the scribbles on a page, those were letters and those letters made words and they could get a message and a story. Figuring that out on their own and seeing their brains click and unlock that has always been my absolute favorite moment of teaching. So seeing that in first grade, um, I moved to Anchorage after I was out in Savunga and taught there. I taught kindergarten in first grade. So I really got to see kids open up books for the first time and try and figure out words. And that those memories are never lost on me. They're so precious. And, um, you know, as a teacher, we do a lot of professional development. And my interest was really always in how can I support that? How can I get those kids who struggle, who are a little bit later to figure out those words? What can I do for them? Uh, You know, I I always think back. I think anyone who works in education has been taught at some point the statistics that are so startling about literacy rates and how being literate can affect your whole life. Um, You look at the prison population And, you know, half of the prison population is illiterate. You look at welfare, three quarters of the people on welfare, they're, you know, they they struggle with reading and being able to provide that to my students gives me that like security that these people who are so special to me will be okay in the future. They have these skills they need. Um, So when I moved to Texas with my family in 2015, I got a job as a reading specialist, so I was really working with those kids who struggled the most. And then uh, at the end of that year, a door opened up for me to join a course to become a dyslexia therapist. So I jumped on that and spent two years um, doing classwork, reading books, writing reports, and really learning about something that I had no idea about really when when I stepped into that first day that and took that pretest and you know they were asking just this basic knowledge about dyslexia and I had no idea uh, so it was a big a big task for me to go through that and learn everything I need to and I've been officially a uh, certified academic language therapist and licensed dyslexia therapist for. Uh, just about a year. Next month is when I took my test and passed. So I work with those students who struggle the most with unlocking 
language and uh, see them grow from kids who are afraid to do schoolwork. They don't like coming to school. They feel dumb. And over the time that I get to work with them and teach them that, you know, you're not dumb, you're really smart, your brain just works differently. And someone needs to teach you the way your brain works. They start to figure these things out. And, you know, when they leave me after two or three years of therapy, and they're confident, and they can read, and I just, I feel like I've done my job reaching those kids that are the hardest to reach that maybe not every classroom teacher is going to be able to get to when they have 20 kids. I've got the small group of kids. I can really get to know them, build them up, teach them in a way that makes sense for them, and then send them on their way and wait for those success stories. That is beautiful. Um, well, first off, um, you discovered that you had a real interest in that. Um, somewhere in there, you know, seeing a little boy or a little girl struggle, you know, trying to form a word or read read a word or um, put sentences together and all those different things, you you felt something there. There was a spark there, and um, to help people read, there, I don't know that there could be anything more valuable on this earth. Um, as you said, the crime statistics, welfare, poverty, all those things. Um, if we can't read. Um, there's not a whole lot we can really offer society. Um, and we, we can't offer anywhere near as much as we could. We're not, we're not a complete person. And it's really sad. Um, if you think about your teaching colleagues, you know, everyone has a different style and a different skill set. And sometimes there are teachers in the room who mean well, but they're more worried about the other kids. They're more worried about the really bright students, right? And we've all seen that. We've all been a teacher's pet at some point. We all want to be a teacher's pet at some point. Or maybe we wanted to be the class clown, depending on what kind of class it was, because there was always, that was fun too. Um, but you had your favorites. You know, you had your favorites. You had your favorite teachers that you had as a student. And I know I did. Um, but some teachers just, they don't handle that stuff well. They get frustrated. They feel like this kid should be picking it up. Teresa's not paying attention. Johnny's not listening when that is not the case at all. Um, they're trying to turn the wheels. They're trying to figure stuff out and they retract and go further inside because they're frustrated. And so for you to connect with those kids is, that's beautiful. It's, it's really awesome. I'm really fortunate. The school I work at, my colleagues are amazing and they've been so open to anything that I have to to teach them or show them. Um, when I'm not with kids, I love going in the classroom and um, I used to have more time when I had a smaller caseload than I do now, but you know, I would go in and teach a lesson with one of my colleagues and you know, I learned so much from them and they, you know, I have things to offer them to learn as well. And so you can, you know, learn from each other and grow from each other. I think that's something that really separates the teaching profession apart. We're not in business. We're not trying to, you know, make a bigger profit or more sales than the person next to us. We're all there for the kids. And when you get in a building with adults who want what's best for kids, and I'm so fortunate that that's where I work now, um, everyone wants those kids to be successful. And so when, when we see, you know, Johnny's struggling. There's someone knocking on my door saying, Johnny's struggling. I've tried X, Y, and Z. What else can I try? And so that um, has been really 
amazing to kind of feel like I can offer some of that support and try and find answers. And I don't have all of the answers, but I'm, I'm willing to dig and I'm willing to try and do whatever I can to get those answers for that kid. Well, it's wonderful that you've got colleagues that are collaborative and um, using the team approach. You're right. It's, it's not business. Um, it's not running that way. And I think the other reason that I thought it'd just be wonderful to have you on with um, COVID and all the struggles that that's brought on the teaching end and and with schools, you know, I was talking to you a little bit about Ronnie not having a real graduation or any other kid. It could be a high school graduation in eighth grade, moving up to high school or any other grade, whatever milestone um, that boy or girl is getting ready to cross over into, they're being impacted significantly. And I think um, sometimes out of some kind of crisis that's just so severe like this, it obviously makes us all reflect upon, you know, what our day-to-day lives were like before, what they're like now, and how they're maybe going to look in the future. And I, for one, am just proud um, to know you because I know what you bring to the table as a teacher and as a human, but I think, I don't think any other parent will ever think of a teacher again the same way who is now thrust into this role of maybe having to try to homeschool two or three or even four of their own kids. And they're just literally, they're fucking lost. Okay. Let's call it what it is, or they're just overwhelmed. And I'm not judging. I certainly couldn't do it. Okay. No way do I have this, the skill set. I had one. If I had Ronnie and I was in that position, I feel like I would have done a really good job, but I don't know how good, nowhere near as good as his own teachers could do. So I just think, you know, you, I always try to find the silver lining. I try to focus on the positive of what, where we're at in life and trying to bring people on the show that are doing positive things. And I just wish, and, and I really hope that after this thing, the dust all settles, that teachers will, you know, get a lot more credit for the value they bring to society and certainly deserve to get paid more money um, and just be given more recognition for you know what they do for us all in our lives. Because as you see, when the parents are put into that role and they're also having to try to work from home, if they're fortunate enough to still be employed. Because I can't tell you how many colleagues I know and friends I know who are not working right now and they've never been out of work and they don't know what to do. So this just creates just you know massive amounts of stress. And that's not a good environment when then, you know, they're then having to get in that room with their Johnny or Tommy or Tim. And, you know, maybe maybe their kid likes their teacher a lot better than they like mom or dad for teaching. Obviously not for real life. But so, um, you know, what do you what do you think about that? That whole deal? The, the memes that have come out of all of this of parents perspective of trying to provide their child with some sort of education at home have been pretty hilarious and a lot of those. And, you know, it's true. It's hard. I'm, you know, one of the messages that came from our principal right when this started was it's, it's grace before grades and it's relationships before rigor. We, we understand, you know, parents, you've got a tough hand. You know, it's hard for me as a teacher, my kids aren't even in school and I'm trying to sit in meetings and they're, you know, climbing on top of me. They want a juice box. And I'm like, I'm in a confidential meeting. You're not even supposed to be in here. Get yes. out. So, you know, trying to do a business call or work with, you know, however they're trying to work at home is, you know, that's a tall task anyway, to take whatever your job was now make it a home job. And by the way, 
here's all of these things you've got to give your child. Like it's, it's mind blowing and it's difficult and it's heartbreaking at times. I've had conversations with parents, you know, when I reach out to check in on how their students doing and, and check in on their work or see if I can support them in some way. And, you know, the, the parents are struggling. They're, they struggle socially. You know, sometimes they just want to chit chat on the phone because they don't have anyone else to talk to. And so your, you know, five minute phone conversation is 30 minutes because they just need an adult to talk to. And that's part of being a teacher right now. And, you know, meeting with your, your student on Zoom just to give them a familiar face to look at. That's part of teaching right now. Um, we're not really, you know, grace before grades where our grading policy has changed, but we're really just saying like, hey, whatever you did, that's a win and we'll catch you up in the fall. And I don't think any teacher would disagree with that. It's, it's hard at home. It's not normal. Um, it's hard to concentrate. They don't have workspaces. They don't have technology. There's so many hurdles. Do what you can right now. Our job when we get back in the building is to figure out how to get you where where we need you and where we want you to go and push you further. Um, and then, you know, teaching is, I think a lot of times people outside the profession don't always appreciate the relationship piece of teaching. It's so much more than just, I'm telling you, you need to learn one plus one is two. And CAT says cat, there's so much more that goes into that. If kids don't like you, they're not going to learn from you. If kids don't respect you, they're not going to follow your rules. And so you have to build that rapport with your students. You have to know them. You have to know what interests them and what motivates them because they have bad days. Um, I think about kids right now, they're, they're struggling too. You know, they're at home. They haven't seen their friends. You know, my kids are in... They go, went to daycare. They haven't been to daycare in two months. And they tell me all the time, you know, I miss my friends. I miss my teacher. Are the germs gone? Can we go back to school? You know, they're always asking, are the germs gone? When are the germs going to be gone? Because they might not have the words to express how they're feeling, but it's it's tough. It's tough on everyone. And, um, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to being back in the building and being able to hug all those babies a little tighter. Um, think back to the last day we were in school uh, in March. It was March 13th, the day before spring break, and kind of knew shit was starting to hit the fan. Um, you know, I'd made a grocery run the night before because didn't know what was going to be happening. And, you know, we went to school and teachers, we, we put on our brave face and we try not to let them know about all the scary stuff that happens in the world, especially in the elementary level. And so I remember just putting a smile on my face and, and teaching those babies just as if, it, you know, we were going to go to spring break and we were going to be back on, you know, that next Monday. And I knew in my heart, we weren't going to be back that next Monday. And, you know, I wanted to hug them and, you know, tell them how much I love them and how proud I am of them. And before I sent them on their way, but at the same time, I didn't want to like, I love you. I hope you have a great time. I'll see you when I see you. And I'm like, why is Miss Brodsky being all weird? You know, because <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have any idea. None of us really had the idea of the severity of it. And so I kind of wish I had been the weird teacher to <laughs> tell them how much I missed, you know, I was going to miss them and um, send them on their way with, you know, I haven't seen them. I won't see them until August if, you know, when we go back to school, um, knock on wood. But that's a long time for kids that, you know, 
I love, I see them every day. I, I work with them. I know them. And you know, it's, they're kind of like your family. Yeah, they are. They are They're, you know, like it's like our amazing running groups that we're blessed to be a part of. They're, they're a, an extension of our family, our running community. We use that phrase all the time, but, um, and we all met virtually. So we weren't, you know, we weren't all in Austin running together. We weren't in Central Park running together. We were from all over the place. And <laughs> what a ragtag group of people. And it's amazing how a love of one thing could like pull us all together. And we're all still together. Um, we might be using different coaches or some of us not coach, you know, using a coach at all and doing very different things with our running or racing. But that shared common love of, of something, you know, ties us and binds us together. And it's, that's what we need. We need more of that kind of stuff right now when we have an outlook that is just so nebulous and, and completely unclear. Um, we just don't know. And anybody who thinks they know the answer really does not know the answer at all. Um, because there's no question there's parts of the country that could be reopened and reopened safely because the virus isn't really having an impact there. And in rural areas where you don't have population density like New York, that's fine. But if you try reopening New York City full-blown, I don't even want to know where it's going to go. I don't I don't want to know. And I don't want to see more friends, you know, parents die or children die or relatives die. I don't want to see more people in the hospital on ventilators. I don't want to see more of my healthcare colleagues and friends and uh, technical service teams and, and people at work for me that are part of my organization, I don't want to see them overstressed to the point where we just, we can't manage it. And that's, that's what we're up against. Um, so we got to just, got to just toe the line and we got to do our, do, do our part. And for me, you know, a lot of these runs, I'm so away from everybody I don't really need a buff on or a bandana. And I'm not going to get into these debates with people who are, are going to just literally light you on fire because you do or you don't. But you know what? I do it for everyone else. I can't be certain that when I come around a corner, I'm not going to come up on someone out of nowhere and be unprepared. So I'm going to wear it. I've, and I've done three marathons in the last three Fridays with a bandana on the whole way. You don't think I want to take that stupid thing off and be like, hey, give me some fresh air, please. But you know what? I feel like it's the right thing to do. And if somebody else doesn't, you know, good for you. You know what? When I go to bed at night, I got I to gotta answer to the man upstairs. When I say my prayers, I'm going to feel good about myself and my life. And I pray for all of those beautiful, brave people that are out there. I pray for all my friends like you and your family and just everybody I know, because I don't want anybody to get sick. I don't want anybody to, God forbid, be taken away. Or even if they don't die, the impact it's had on people that have come out of recovery, it's just changed them. They're not the same person. They're, I mean, maybe they're going to be alive and they're going to be able to live, but maybe they're never going to be able to run again or exercise the way they did before. I just wish people would take it, take it more seriously. I really do. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a way different world down here in Texas. Um, we have started opening up and, you know, a large part of that is just we have space in our hospitals, so we're not overrun like you guys are there. But, you know, I grew up in Michigan, um, in Detroit, and they were hit hard. And so being, you know, friends who I went to school with who are nurses now and you know, they're separated from their family while they work in the COVID units, and that's heartbreaking. I, I think no matter what, however this ends, where, you know, wherever you are, you're going to come out a different person. And I think that's 
in some ways a good thing. Um, we can appreciate each other a lot more, um, you know, appreciation for, you know, like we were talking about parents who are home who appreciate teachers now. And I appreciate the medical professionals so much more. I appreciate all of the opportunities that I've had to just be with friends or, you know, go have dinner and hang out. And, you know, that social aspect of life is so important. So I think finding the silver linings in all of this is definitely what is going to keep us sane as we work through what life looks like. We have to. We, I mean, we don't have to, but that's the right approach. Um, because every single day, every time we have a conversation, every time we're processing a new situation and information, you know, it's not that we may not want to jump to, you know, losing our shit or just being like, what the fuck again? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that's okay. That's fine. You know, maybe it's even fine to say it right out loud three or four times because we all have our different way of processing information. For me, I'm a, I'm going to vent to myself, you know, with Coco, my dog, or you or any of my friends around, but you know what? It's gone. You know, it's off of my shoulders. It's out of my insides. It's not saying I won't ever think about it anymore, but now I've moved on to, okay, now how are we going to make this, this situation better? What are we going to do? Okay. This, this sucks. It's a total shit sandwich. We had to furlough a hundred employees. We've never, you know, laid off an employee in 21 years of business, not one. Um, now furloughing is obviously different than true layoff because we certainly hope to bring them all back, but we don't know what the economy and the business is going to look like even when doors open and we can officially operate and we're just, we're deemed an essential business. So we're technically operating, but we're operating, doing zoom calls. We're operating, doing training meetings. You know, we talk to our largest clients as much as we can. And I run our healthcare segment. So I'm there and I'm reaching out to those people every day and I'm doing things that I can, but there's only so much you can actually do when the world is in full blown limbo. There's, there's not all that much. So we got We got to do what we can do. So Transitioning from your amazing teaching and the impact you have on these kids. And, um, you know, I um, am just so impressed, uh, you know, um, with what you've done and, you know, the effect that you can have on these kids and their, um, their self-esteem and how they feel about themselves. And so to go from that same feeling that you're bringing and giving them empowerment and making them feel like more whole as a person, because they're, they've conquered this thing that, is the thing. I mean, you can't go very far in life if you can't read. You just can't communicate. You can't you can't be a full person. So you go from there to creating your HBE running group, which is easily like my favorite thing any of my um friends in my running community or just anywhere have ever done because it just I I'm just so excited about what it is and what it stands for and how you've engaged these kids to empower them and make them feel that they're part of something bigger. And, you know, I'm not going to say anything else about it. Just tell, where did the idea come from? Like, how did it, how did it start in your own mind? You know, how did you, you know, transfer from a thought and an idea into an actionable item? And then I know you have people that you're working with to pull it together, you know, down there in the community. So just, just take me through it, walk me through it and tell us about it. Yeah. So that was, um, it was a long road. There are some things that I act really quickly on. And then there's other things when it means a lot to me, I mull it over for way longer than I need to. 
come up, but I coached with Girls on the Run back before I had my daughter. And I loved that experience. I loved um, being able to be on that journey with girls who had never run before, going through the Girls on the Run curriculum where they're learning about body image and peer pressure and all of those things that girls deal with, um, all the way to a 5K where they have someone running a 5K with them, talking them through cheerleading them through, you know, 3.1 miles, which is a, a long distance for those, those girls, you know, they're, you know, third through fifth grade, a, a 5k is a big deal for them. That's, that's a long run. And I love the power of that program. And I wanted when the time was right to get involved with it again. But the more I thought about it, I have a son now also. So I have a daughter and a son and I just think, you know, I want opportunities to be equal. I don't want my son to be able to miss out on an opportunity just because he's a boy. And, you know, same way as I think a lot of times we think I don't want my daughter to miss out because she's a girl, but I think that goes both ways. And so whenever I do anything now, I want it to be inclusive for everyone. And so a couple of years ago, I actually had uh, my students, they interviewed, uh, his name is Jared Blank. He ran the seven marathons in seven days as a fundraiser for the International Dyslexia Association. So I was teaching my kids about running and endurance events and marathons and talking to them about, you know, the relationship between learning to read and being dyslexic and running. And, you know, this is what I do. And they really started to take an interest in it, which surprised me because they all tell me they hate running when it's gym, when, you know, gym day and it's time to run. They're like, oh. <laughs> But I can tell they were interested. And so it was something I started kind of mulling over in my brain at that point um, and just looked into different opportunities. There's a lot of programs um, like the Morning Mile that is, that's out there, but just had a hard time finding sponsors. And the more I looked into it, I was like, we don't need a sponsor for this. Like, let's just do it. So I had a friend, um, Sarah, hopefully she listens, but if she's listening, she really kind of pushed me to, you know, get going and put some ideas down on paper and figure things out. So we started this year and um, Run HPE now has about 250 members who have shown up at least once. We are all inclusive. We meet in the morning. So school doors open at 7.30. We have 30 minutes where kids kind of get breakfast and arrive at school, get settled. So that 30 minutes from 7.30 to 8. Uh, we're we're out there. We have kids who come and run for a mile and we have kids who show up, you know, I don't know how they get there, but they're there before the doors even open and they're ready to go and they run the whole time. And my goal when I went and talked to these kids was I just explained to them like, hey, let's start your day in a positive way. Let's Let's move. Let's get our energy going. Let's talk with our friends. Let's listen to music. You can run with a group. You can run by yourself. Um, at the beginning of the year, when we didn't have as many kids, I ran with them on some days. Um, I'm trying to figure out how we can get that back because it's so crazy now. We have a sea of children out there just running laps. Um, it's <laughs> amazing to see their, you know, authentic joy and just running and it reminds you as an adult, you know, not every day is joyful and running isn't always fun, but it should be. And so when you're in the middle of that hard workout and you think back to those kids and they're just 
happy sprinting until they're ready to puke. And then they walk and it's like, that's, that's fine. Um, but running is just, it's been such an important part of my life since I started running and I wanted to be able to share that. I always want to share, always feel like if I could just bottle up like a runner's high and sell it, I would be a millionaire because that's what everyone chases. And it feels good to run. It feels good to beat your friend down the straightaway on, you know, on the playground. It feels good to push yourself and you don't always have to put those things in words, but the experience of running is so powerful. And I just knew that that would transcend, you know, to the kids, they would get that, they would have that experience and hopefully, you know, light a fire in them that stays for a while. And maybe they go out for track in middle school. Maybe they run cross country in high school just because they think like, you know, man, I used to start my day with running. Maybe this is something I want to do and it can be a part of their life. I mean, it's, it's so, uh, it's empowering. Um, it built confidence and self-esteem for these kids and they're learning about, you know, achieving like different goals. Cause you have like segments involved and all that. First off, what does HBE actually stand for? Uh, so we're Hackberry Elementary. So whenever is abbreviated, it's HBE. And I'm actually, the name is not that exciting. I was looking at t-shirt designs and they had a like run DMC logo. And I was like, oh, we could just make it run HBE. Perfect. Made done. And so that's, that's where the name came from. Nothing special. Creative. It's okay. So share a little bit about uh, some of the metrics from like when you first got started um, and you got this thing off the ground um, in terms of where it was then to like where you are now. Yeah, it has exceeded all of my expectations um, because all kids tell you they hate to run. I really <laughs> there to be like five kids show up and that was it. And so I went at the beginning of the school year, we started with the older kids because I wasn't quite sure the logistics. I didn't want to have a five-year-old out there. I, I wasn't ready for that yet. Um, but I went and talked to the kids and just explained and shared with them, you know, I'm a runner this, and I start my day with running. It feels good. I would love to share that with you. Come join me in the morning. Um, I had them sign a contract and the contract basically just agreed to they were going to move forward, they were going to be safe, and they were going to lift each other up, which I had this fear in the back of my mind that like, they were going to start this, I'm faster than you, you're too slow, all of that. And it has maybe been an issue like one day for 30 seconds before someone was like, no, we don't do that here. Um, so it's, um, I just passed those out to third through fifth grade. I expected five to come back. And the next day, my mailbox was full. I had so many. So we we started there. Um, I don't remember how many kids were showing up at the beginning of the year regularly. But we've slowly rolled in um, each grade. So we are now school-wide, or we were before we left. We were school-wide starting in January. So we had kindergartners all the way through fifth graders who came in the morning. And on a good weather day, we would average about 50 to 60 kids who came and ran. And we have this really unexciting 13 hundredths of a mile loop around the playground because uh, we can't interfere with you know, the traffic in the morning while parents are dropping off kids. So um, again, so surprised that all of these kids come and run this tiny little loop that would bore adults to tears, but they're so happy to have this space. 
and they, they come, they check in, we greet them. I have three other people who kind of work and run things with me. Um, so Tamara is a pre-K teacher. She usually greets the kids and gets them. They have little QR code tags that help us keep track of how many laps they do. And so we turn that into some metrics and it's fun to see the kids. Um, you know, I had this many laps this last month and I want to do more this month and kind of comparing how many miles they've run over the course of the year together. So it's been really cool to see that. Um, not something that we ever encouraged, but they just naturally started looking at those metrics. So just kind of seeing where they've where they've gone with that has been really interesting. Um, and then I have, uh, there's two other teachers, um, Kate and Vanessa, who helped me out with just like the management. So we're, you know, got a QR reader on our phone, we're scanning it, we're, you know, kind of directing traffic, especially on some of the busier days, we get this like traffic jam where they're trying to get their laps scanned. Um, and we, you know, we just, we just roll with it. And we've, my goal at the beginning of the year, I put out kind of a call for fundraising. I really wanted our kids to experience racing. Um, the experience of a race and being out in the community is so important as a runner. And I wanted them to get that experience. We have a large part of our population at our school that, you know, $35 or you know, $70 for them to run with their parent for a 5k is a big ask. And I knew that. So I started fundraising. Um, my goal was to be able to send 10 kids to a race. And we accomplished that. Uh, we had two races, we had one in December, and we had one right before all the COVID stuff hit. Um, and then we actually remember it very clearly on the 11th, March 11th, uh, my family and I were sitting at the women's national soccer team game and got a message that the boys baseball booster club wanted to sponsor 10 of our kids for a race that has now been postponed. So, um, you know, doubled what my initial goal was to get kids out in the community. And that also has just been so amazing to see kids light up when people are cheering for them and the next day they come to school and they're wearing their race shirt and it's like I did that I you know I raced and we we throw their pictures up on Facebook you know there's small races so there's it's not like there's race photos from them so we get their race photos for them out on the course with our cameras and really celebrate them um I think as a runner you know when you run a race it's so different than just you know running laps around your neighborhood or whatever and being a part of a community and seeing all of that excitement and celebration and even just knowing, you know, as a kid, I didn't know people ran races. Like I remember my sister living in Chicago. I went to visit her one weekend. It was the weekend of the Chicago marathon. We couldn't figure out why people were walking around with foil around them. We, no one in my family ran. We didn't know it was a thing. So hopefully just planting a seed for them that, you know, here's this hobby that you can literally do the rest of your life and you can get so much out of it. And that is um, what such a powerful thing. And it's interesting. Um, I think all the way back to my own uh, grade school days on the schoolyard, like second grade, third grade, um, which is you'll enjoy because of, you know, your ability to teach these kids to read and dyslexia, but we had something called the bookmobile and the bookmobile would just come around and it came like one day a week 
And, you know, you would check out another book, you'd read it and you got stars and there were comprehension tests. So you can just lie and BS your way through and say, I read 70 books, but my mom would be like, how are you reading all these books? I'm like, I, it just shows you that it, we want to achieve like, and hit goals in life. We don't even, maybe can't put that into words. Why? But even at that, at second grade, I wanted those gold stars, man. But I enjoyed reading very much. I mean, I loved those stories and I would get so immersed in them. I always loved reading. Ronnie loved reading. But I remember how that simple process worked. So you're getting a star. You you read another book. You have to like prove that you understand the content of the book. So it's not like you can just BS your way through it. You know, the minute you started to pull some metrics in, and again, you what I really like is you're not just, you know, patting the kids on the head or the fast kids or the fast boys or girls that are beating everybody across the yard. You took the competitive piece out of it in that way. But when they see if they're running more, that's getting tracked, it's like it's going to make them feel special. So they're going to want to run more. And, you know, it's gates, right? It's like, you know, if you hit this gate and you do that, and, you know, that's just, that's why compensation works in business. That's why we want to achieve things in life. If they tell you to hit this and then you do that, like the first thing that my brain thinks is, okay, well, what's next? What am I doing next? Well, I already did that. So I've, I've got to figure out a way to do that. And even at that young age, you know, they're clearly motivated to want to, you know, see their own achievement and see it being tracked. Um, so it's just, awesome beyond words what you got going there and i see all kinds of other cool stuff you can do i mean if you know and again it's in school so you can't leave school but on the weekends maybe you go to a park and do a cross-country series maybe you get the batons out and teach these kids how to do relays i mean i just think that is the most fun thing in the world and it doesn't even have to be in a circle it can be straight line run where you're handing off the baton to another boy or a girl and you know you're you're racing outside and like a series of stuff. So please, William, we need to get a link to to in the show notes that we can uh, post so that people who are, you know, checking out the Run Chats page on Facebook and Instagram and also on my regular Run Runs NYC page, if they want to make a donation, if they want to try to make a difference, um, and I know I certainly will, um, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And obviously not much is going to be happening right now, but at some point it will. And there's other things. And I know that I personally would reach out to some of the big brand companies, to, to New Balance, to Saucony, um, to some of the um, connections that I have, um, you know, just from the running community and, and even reach out to my uh, teammates and board members on Central Park Track Club. We recently signed an agreement and now um, Tracksmith is going to be our um, uniform sponsor specifically. Um, so we're going to be running track, we're going to run tracksmith gear going forward, which I love because I'm a big tracksmith brand fan. Um, I just love everything about them. I love their, uh, their writing style and just, 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 just the way they go to market. I love their store in Boston. Um, good stuff, super company, um, love what they represent and they're all about. Um, but we also have other companies that are part of some of our new partnership agreements. So I will tap into every possible connection I have to see what sort of fun things that we can do. Um, around that because it was always the plan was to come down there to your school specifically and do this show at the school and have some of these awesome kids be a part of the show and that's not going to change it's just going to be delayed so this is like the warm-up our warm-up show and we'll uh we'll do the follow-up one uh and we'll create some kind of fun race and do it in the park in texas somewhere wherever, wherever you decide
Yeah, that sounds so amazing. I, um, you know, I wasn't planning on it being so successful. So all of these like wild dreams that I had of doing fun things like a relay race in a park or cross country, all of those things are like, okay, we have enough kids now that some of these ideas are really fun. And, you know, we've, I don't know, we've, I'm trying to like figure out, I love the idea of reaching out to some of those sponsors because our incentives right now are pretty lame. Um, you know, they get to 20 miles and they get a golden tag, which we think is like the biggest thing in the world for these kids. It's literally just their QR code on gold paper and they get to run an extra lap because they keep their tag. We don't have to file it away and keep it for them. And they are so excited when they earn their golden tag. And, you know, like we have little incentives we do along the way, but we have so many kids and they work so hard and they show up and they bring so much joy to me that like, I have to do more for these kids. I have to make this an experience that they're like, yes, I loved going to run HBE. It's like a moment that defines their elementary years. That's, that's where I want to get to. That's my goal for them. Well, it's a, it's a, such a beautiful goal and, um, it's your heart's in the right place, obviously for the school, for the kids, um, for their long-term, you know, just how they feel about themselves. Um, just, there's so much self-esteem that comes and confidence that comes into our lives when we feel that we're competent in something. And there's very few things in this world that make us feel better than the simple act of running. There are very few things. Um, you don't need to be running with another person. You know, I'm running marathons completely by myself. Um, you could listen to a podcast, you could listen to music, and you can listen to nothing. Because on that run, you are alone for a very long period of time. Sure, there's other people around on the side of the road, and you're very conscious of keeping social distance and being away from people. And I'm like hypersensitive to it because my mom has lymphoma, and I'm not seeing her now anyway. But still, I just, I want to do everything I can to be out of harm's way for myself and for every other person that might be out there whose immune system might be compromised. But um, it's just it's just a beautiful thing that it just shows you that a gold, you know, check-in thing. You know, we all think it has to be a special trophy or a special plaque or whatever. What I've learned in my own business life um, with sales and being in sales and marketing like my entire business career, many, many times it's just the act of recognition. It's just the act of saying, Darcy Brodsky, you're the teacher of the year. No, you don't have to go up on the podium and get some you know, huge gold star plaque or anything. Just, just to be told you're the teacher of the year and explain why you were selected and what the attributes that you bring to this job. And of course, you know, you give you know, massive amounts of credit to your colleagues and your team and the collaborative approach. And that's wonderful. That's why you're good at what you do. Um, but we think that it has to be this super awesome award to trigger someone to want to achieve it. But in fact, it's so simple and ridiculous. I could tell by your reaction, looking at you in the screen here, that you think like, well, why do the kids want it? Well, they want it because it's gold. It's the next level up. And if you tell them the next one's platinum, they're going to want that one too, because it just shows you that their heart's in the right place. They just want to, they want to keep going up that ladder the way I did with the book people. They want to just keep going up. And if you tell them there's one more door left, you know, keep going down the hallway, they're going to keep going because, you know, that's that nature, you know, of like, you know, how, how far can I take this? You know, I want, uh, 
You talked about that before. You've got to connect with your students. If your students don't like you, how simple is that? If your students don't like you, like do you really think they're going to listen to what you're saying in class? No, they're not. If they don't respect you and they think it's romper room and they could just run around and just like leave their seat and do all the crazy stuff I did when I was in class. Yeah, I may have gotten in trouble a few times, but luckily for me, my grades were good. So it bailed me out a lot of times, my little wild wildness streak that I might have. Um, but connecting with these kids, um, not only in the classroom and with their reading, but with running and, um, you know, starting, you know, at the age group that you have, there's just so, so much more. I mean, you build something that's so wonderful and no, you don't need crazy prizes, but yeah, if I can help you find one company to come into this thing and make some sort of commitment and just show some attention and love to these kids and show up, I've seen things that New Balance will do. I've seen their athletes like Emma Coburn come and do clinics. I've seen amazing things um, that Hoka and the NAS Elite teams will do. And yeah, that may be more centered around where they train. Um, and obviously, um, you know, Emma's in Boulder, you know, and their, you know, their team that works with, you know, her husband, Joe Bossard, they're centered out there and NAS elites, you know, out in Arizona. Um, so a lot of it is based on where they are and where they train, but come on, there's gotta be somebody that we could pull in from Texas. I would want to get into this thing right now at the super grassroots level, make an impact. So I'm, this is going to be a mission for me. I'm, I'm consider me part of the, I'm drafted and, you know, I'm going to put my, put my skills to work somehow to try to find anybody who's going to show this thing some love and attention. You know, when you're able to get back outside safely, obviously, and run with these kids and, you know, get out there. Cause I just see the park, that's their escape. Maybe that's their gate. You know, if they show up enough times and they do enough things and their grades are at a certain level, then they get to run in the outdoor series in the park. Like that's a reward. They get to go there for that one. And then other rewards are other types of things, relays or other things like that. Cause it's, it's just a beautiful thing. So keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. You're doing super awesome stuff there. Got my wheels turning now. I can't wait to get back this <laughs> more now so I can run with them and share some more fun stuff with them. Yeah. Well, look, anytime um, you want to do a Zoom brainstorm with your other teachers that you're doing this stuff with, I'm, you know, I'm up for it. And I'll, like I said, I'll try to pull some running community contacts in and, um, you know, cause that's where all you, you come up with the original idea, you go talk it over with your teaching colleagues, and then you have a couple of key ones that you're having that you lean on. But as this thing grows, you're going to need more and you're going to need more resources and you're going to need like more ideas and, and your sponsors, it's not just about money. A lot of times it's other things, you know, my gosh, they could send shirts. They don't even have to send them for free, send them at cost, send them at a lower price. And then just tell, you know, figure out what that number is and then let me know and other people know, and we'll push that out there and figure out a way to make that stuff happen. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that's the kind of stuff that you want to do. You're building a legacy there. So good job. Keep it up. So I want to ask you personally, Growing up, like, did you have like a favorite teacher or a special mentor? Because I know you said you talked to your dolls and you always knew you wanted to be a teacher, but like, did you have one teacher in particular that maybe you connected with who was like a mentor to you that like, you know, fostered that love for the profession? 
Um, I had a lot of really amazing teachers when I look back. I was so fortunate. My elementary years, I had, uh, you know, a handful of teachers that I can just, they were amazing. They, they loved me. They loved the kids in the class. They made learning fun. Um, learning didn't even have to be fun for me to want to do it because I was a big nerd, but they, they did, they made things exciting. And, you know, when you're in school for 12 years, you want someone who loves you and makes things exciting. Um, when I think about like one person, um, in high school, I had a teacher for, I mean, I wouldn't say he wanted, he made me want to be a teacher, but he was the teacher who kind of saw potential in me, um, at a time when I don't know that I saw it in myself in high school. And, Uh, Mr. Hughes taught AP U.S. history, um, the hardest class I ever took, probably high school or college, you know, the whole shebang, hardest class I ever took. And he, you know, he connected with with all of the kids. Um, He connected with with us and believed in us. And he told us, you know, like, I'm not going to take it easy on you. I'm going to give you hard stuff and I'm going to expect you to rise to this level. And if you don't want to rise to this level, I love you, but get out, you know, don't, don't, don't sit in here and, and don't put in the work. If, if you're going to be here, put in the work. And that was, you know, saying it out loud. I think that's something that I didn't ever know I needed to hear. Um, and having someone who did that was, you know, pivotal in making me look for other opportunities. Cause I was, I, you know, outsiders wouldn't say like, oh, she, she avoided, you know, she took the easy road because I was a straight A student. I, you know, I was never in trouble. I was the good kid. And (laughs) I, but I, I did take the easy way. I didn't look for hard things to do. If something was hard, I probably wasn't going to do it. You know, I, I didn't purposefully like, you know, smart kid. I remember freshman year English, um, you know, AP teacher came in and said, if you want to be an AP English, this is your book. You got to write, read this and write a paper. And I was like, not doing that. Regular English is an easy A, good enough for me. And I still somehow ended up in AP English. You know, my, my teachers saw, hey, she has the potential. Let's push her. And so I think being in schools where I, you know, had people who who saw that, who pushed me, who said, you know, you can do this and that's great, but you can do so much more. And we all need those people in life. So yeah, I'm super fortunate that that's my education background because otherwise uh, who knows what I would be doing or or where I would be because the easy road is not who I am anymore. You know, people look at me and they're like, you know, she doesn't take the easy road. Yeah, not anymore, but I used to. So you, um, Mr. Hughes was your, mentor, not maybe necessarily mentor, but somebody who, you know, you had that uh, real respect for as a teacher. And trust me, there will be many, many of your students who you will be the first name that they will think of. They'll be like, it was Darcy Brodsky. She was my favorite teacher. And I became a teacher because of her. So keep keep doing what you're doing there. How about um, uh, somebody who inspires you as an athlete, somebody who you really enjoy following their journey and just somebody who really you know, you have a real connection with that, uh, you're, you're inspired by. Um, I have two people who I just love watching. Um, 
Kara Goucher, obviously. I think she was the first pro runner that I ever started paying attention to um, way back in, you know, 2012, watching her at the trials and cheering her on. Um, and then see, seeing her as she's an athlete now who's, you know, not competing at that highest level professionally, but moving on into ultras and just still finding joy in the sport. Uh, she's really amazing. She's also such a great voice for the sport with, you know, the clean sport podcast and just not being afraid to say what she thinks, you know, with the, you know, maternity, all of that stuff with Nike, you know, she's, she's been a voice and that's important. Um, I also really love Steph Bruce. Um, my kids are similar ages to hers. And so I really, I started getting into Instagram and trying to connect to that running community after my son was born. And she was one of the first pro runners who I started following on there. You know, she was on that postpartum comeback. I was on the postpartum comeback. And so I just kind of, you know, she doesn't know me, but she's, you know, we, we walked that path together in some way because we were, you know, going through those same pieces of trying to rebuild your fitness so you can run and do a workout and all of that. And so she's, she's someone who's really, um, who I, I love to follow now. She's so successful and just keeps grinding away. Yeah. I think, um, we all have our own style. Um, certain people, we just, you just, you connect. Um, you don't know them to your point, but you feel like you know them because you really do. You read all their posts, you see all their training and, you know, certainly Kara's been in the sport forever and, and done amazing things as an athlete and certainly many, many things after she isn't competing at the same level now. Um, and as you said, um, spoken on many key issues, you know, Alberto's situation and all the way through and through, um, she always is willing to speak up on, you know, virtually any topic. And, you know, she's a voice of, uh, somebody that people really look up to and, and, um, she's had an amazing athletic career. Um, had a chance to meet, uh, you know, their whole family after Houston, after we were hanging out the next morning, you remember they're like sitting in the booth across from me. I'm not talking about like, you know, five tables where they were literally right there. And Colt was like bouncing all over the place and Kara's mom was there. And, um, wow, that was just wild. You know, I was just like trying not to, you know, just leave them alone, but you know, you just knew something was going to happen. And then, I ended up, you know, going over there and talking to them and taking a bunch of pictures and they just could not have been any nicer. Um, you know, and just, uh, it was just really, really fun. Um, and especially being that I think it just shows you what kind of person she is because obviously she didn't have her day. Um, and I'm pretty sure she had to drop in Houston. Um, and you know, she had been training really hard and, you know, going through some injuries and, you know, just trying to really get back in there and stick her nose in it. And a lot of people at that point would just been like, I'm out of here, you know, like I'm with my mom and, and my husband and my son, like, you know, I don't, I don't really want to talk to anybody, but she just couldn't have been, couldn't have been nicer. And, uh, Adam, you know, like running with the Buffaloes is easily, I mean, it's people don't understand why that's my favorite book, but I've read that book like nine times, <laughs> um, just to follow that team and his season and the many unbelievable ups and downs of what went on, um, you know, in that year and losing a teammate, him dying, who was one of their most talented runners too. And, you know, Adam had been so close to winning, you know, an NCAA championship. I believe he came in second or third, like his freshman year. So he'd been close, you know, many times before, 
Um, but you know, to come out there in his senior year with all the things that were going on, the team did incredibly well too. Um, and when, you know, when the championship was just easily one of my favorite books. And I ended up taking Ronnie to run it, you know, Mags, which is, you know, Magnolia Lane, you know, that's where the the buffs train and, you know, they run at altitude. And, you know, I can't tell you how many elite runners we saw running when we were there. And, you know, that was my highlight moment because Ronnie destroyed me on like so many of those runs there. But I took him out at Magnolia because that was like 2000 feet higher. And he's like, dad, how come you're able to breathe? Okay. And I'm just like, yes. Dad gets the win one day. And then he just destroyed me like on the next two runs. I think it was just like, Ronnie's like inwardly competitive and I'm outwardly. So it's just like, you know, obviously hugely, you know, competitive person too. But, you know, he's just way more like inward, but he beat my ass down at uh, trying to think. It's really hilly. Gosh, there's just so many amazing places to run in Colorado. I'm totally blanking on it. Um, but spectacular and crazy elevation changes. And I, he like turned into a goat on some of those runs where he flattened me the next couple of days. Um, so yeah, amazing stuff there. And, uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, you, you mentioned Steph and Steph Bruce, and I don't know that anybody could do a better job that she does with just sharing and also her husband too. I don't think Ben Bruce gets nearly enough credit First off, he's funny as hell. He created, I mean, the whole flat racing thing, I think he literally created it. And if he didn't create it, he, I'm the, I think he created it. Like he probably didn't, but he's the one because he started doing his own flat Bruce, like laying down, like, you know, not the uniform, the clothes, it was him. I was like, the dude cracks me up. He's always, you know, got this just, I don't know, just really funny, you know, style. And they had, you know, filming some stuff with the son breaking the tape in the house and running things and, um, Steph credits him all the time for, um, you know, keeping them, you know, loose and whatever. And just what a, what an awesome, you know, running family and, you know, beautiful to see what they do. And, you know, he's had a big impact on Alafine and so many of the other elite women, because a lot of times he's pacing them on workouts too. And I mean, man, this guy's made like multiple, you know, championship teams and has an amazing running resume himself. So you pick two, you know, totally awesome people in terms of like from the follow side or whatever. Um, and, and that's really good stuff. So let's transition to your last marathon, because I know you had a big breakthrough, um, and had a really great race. And I want you to share a little bit with listeners, because a lot of times we get, um, so hung up with, you know, training or training within a group or, you know, working with a coach or whatever. And I think you were just like a little bit burned out by, you know, some of that process, just because we had exchanged a lot of messages during that period of time. And we had, talked about potential coaches of who might be a good fit and just, you know, just giving you some ideas. And of course, this is all things you would have to like work through on your own, but you know, you kind of went off and you ran this amazing race and, you know, talk about that a little bit. Cause it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So I left rogue, um, that rogue training group in the fall of 2018. And I really was, I was so burned out. I was putting in way more mileage than I should have been. Um, you know, I said it funnel like with jokingly at the time, my kids would put me to bed on workout nights because I would get up at three 30 the next morning. And so my husband would come in with the kids, they would tuck me in and then he would go take the kids and put them to bed so I could get that extra, you know, 20 or 30 minutes of sleep. And 
I burnt myself out and it's no one's fault, but my own, I wanted to be the best I could be and get the most out of myself and didn't have perspective on how to keep that balance between being a mom working. Um, you know, my career means a lot and it takes a lot of my day, but also balancing that with my hobby running and then also running the household. My husband's busy. He's, um, a multi-sport coach. So some days it's, you know, I'm a single parent with two kids while he's doing his thing and didn't have perspective on that and just kept pushing and kept pushing and pushing and really mentally was burnt out. Um, I had some hamstring tendonitis that took a while to get over um, from putting in way too many miles that I just couldn't recover from. So I stepped back from that group um, thought I knew a little more than I did and, you know, was going to coach myself and do big things the following spring. And I I didn't, I still was burnt out. I ran a race that in New Jersey that honestly, I probably should have just stepped away from and just said, you know, now's not the time. Um, But really started to get kind of my groove back in late summer of last year and had a friend, Allison, uh, who I knew from when I lived in Alaska, who wanted to come down and run Houston. I'd been there earlier that year um, watching you and just kind of checking things out. Was excited about it because it was such a well-run race and was really fun to spectate. So I figured, you know, races that are fun to spectate are, are good to run. So set my sights on building towards Houston in January and dug into that training, uh, used, started with Hansen's marathon method, which had done me well in the past, but realized a couple weeks in, I was just stretching myself too thin again and backed off, um, went with uh, McMillan Run Club and changed how I was training quite a bit from Hansen's. Those are two way different styles and really went into Houston not feeling like I was going to do anything great because I switched, you know, this whole, whole school, you know, thought approach on training with Hanson's to training with McMillan was just crazy, but I wasn't in a good mental space um, for a lot of that year leading up to that. I would say even right up until the race, I don't know that I had confidence in myself and believe in myself. I can't tell you how many workouts I ran where, you know, I stopped my watch and just caught my breath on the side of the road and kicking grass and curbs and, you know, telling myself this is stupid and I'm never going to get faster and what am I doing? And just in a bad, bad space and didn't, didn't believe in myself at all. Um, got the brilliant idea that I was going to run Houston without a watch. Um, I just knew if I looked down at any point and saw a pace that I didn't want to see. And I wasn't feeling good for whatever that pace was. You know, I I knew like in my mind, when I was visualizing this race, I was looking down at mile 20 and my watch was saying, you know, you're running 11 minute pace. And I knew that was going to set me off. And so I, I put my watch on that morning. I didn't turn it on and I lined up, I dropped back a corral and just just ran. I I just ran. And, you know, I listened to um, Chad Wright on Rich Roll podcast on the drive down. 
I actually sent him a message afterwards because he said, it's such a good podcast. I've listened to it over and over again. It's one I will always go back to, but he just talks about, you can't give pain a voice. And you know, that's like one of his things. And so that whole race, I could just hear him saying, you know, don't give pain a voice, don't give pain a voice. And it, you know, mile 22 and you're like, my legs hurt, my lungs hurt, I'm tired. And, you know, it was windy. And I just, you know, you start to think like, okay, my legs hurt now. It's okay. It's mile 22. They're supposed to hurt. No, my legs are fine. My my elbows are fine. My feet are fine. I was just digging for anything that was feeling good that day. Um, and then that, I mean, that carried me through. It was such a magical day. It was like all the pieces fell in place. Um, just because I gave myself a chance to get out of my head. I, I wasn't worried about, I didn't think I was going to PR. Um, I, I wasn't expecting to, I, I, I thought I might come close to where my PR was, but it, it wasn't something that I thought like, you know, I think back to like races I'd run, run before that, where I'd been in shape and like, I already had my, my IG post scripted out in my head of how great this race was. And I felt so strong and I was in, like, no, that wasn't, you know, I had the like, well, it was fun. I really enjoyed running through Houston today. Like that was what was scripted in my head. And I just enjoyed the day. And, you, you know, I was runners, especially in marathon, you like dream of those days where just everything comes together. Um, I'm lucky. I think I can say I've had two of them now in Chicago in 2017, had a beautiful race. And then in Houston this year, just had a beautiful race where, you know, your body feels good. Your mind is good. You know, you're happy. They, you know, those, those are the moments when, you know, you cross that finish line and you're like, this is, this feeling is enough for all of the other shitty races and all of the other shitty days, this feeling of accomplishment will carry me through to the next time I get that feeling again. Like that's what you live for. But just being able to, to do that and, you know, squeaking out that PR, um, I had a two minute PR on the day and it gave me confidence that like, yes, I can run a marathon. Yes. I can still get faster. I'm not done yet. The goals that I've spoken out loud aren't ridiculous. Yeah. They're going to take work, but I can get there. And it, it just restored my faith in myself that, that I could push through. Well, that's, that's so important. And I'm, I'm really happy that you shared it because we were texting a bunch before you went down there for the race. And is it teaching colleague that you were running with or just a friend locally that you train with? I remember you were talking about the two of you going down there together and you know, you'd been there for me the year before. And it was just, it was so awesome having you and the littles on the course. And then we all got to go to dinner and I got to meet hubs for the first time. And that was, um, it's just so much fun. I, I wish, I wish people would just like open up and share a little more of themselves, um, with their running friends and just realize just how much more magic is out there because I didn't care about that race. I cared about having ice cream with your kids and making them smile and, you know, just being stupid like I always am. And I went to bed and I just didn't even care what time it was when I woke up and it was dark and it was cold and it was freezing my ass off. And I was just like, okay. And, you know, I, I came in second or third in my age group in the Houston half marathon. I mean, that's like a massive race and it's crazy. And in Philly, I'd come in first, but I was a little bummed that I didn't beat my time in Philly, you know, cause you guys were out there and you're yelling for me, but man, I could tell you that course, it's great. 
and the people are great, but it, oh, you always have these like wind tunnels there. And I think, you know, Kara and I were talking about it when I, you know, when we, you know, when we met, um, just how windy it really got. And, you know, it's incredible to work through that kind of challenge is hard when you know you're going in the same direction, the way we were in Boston that year where it just never shut off. It was 25 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, 35 miles an hour. And then, you know, the rain continuing to come down is one thing, but, you know, with the wind of that strength, you know, we're, we're not supposed to run straight into a wind like that during a marathon, maybe a 5k or a 10k, but 26 miles and you're burning so much energy, extra energy. But I know I remember us texting and I just remember saying to you, you know, just focus on, you know, joy, like connect with people, smile, like just try to enjoy the experience. And I had no idea you weren't going to wear a watch. I didn't know any of that. I didn't even know that you had switched to Greg because Greg's a dear friend of mine. Um, and yeah, those, their training philosophies couldn't be more different. Um, and you know, like sometimes when we just take the actual pressure off of ourselves that we don't even realize that we're putting on ourselves, but we are, we absolutely are because you, you just said it. I don't remember exactly what you said, but you looked at your watch 11 minutes. Yes, that's exactly you. And every one of us has that ability. We don't realize it. We just look down at that moment in time and maybe our GPS is fucking off. It's not even right. Maybe it's, maybe it's not pulling the correct information, but then yeah, right at that very moment when we need a little affirmation, we look down and it's like 1040, like, fuck you, and I'm not running 1040 pace. I'm running way faster than that. Well, yeah, if you happen to chosen to look maybe 20 minutes later, and maybe it was locked into the signal and it was correct, maybe you're actually running 820, but yet in your brain, now you're like, oh, my race sucks. I suck. I'm no good. And then all of a sudden, all this negativity just like takes over. We can't run in those conditions, maybe again in a 5k, maybe in a 10k or a half marathon, we could like struggle through and make a decent performance, but we can't make it through a marathon with that kind of stuff. So I applaud you for turning off the watch. I know a lot of coaches have advised athletes to like turn it over, just flip it over. Whatever you do, if you can just get out there somehow and connect with the other runners that are around you, with the crowd. Um, people always ask me why I smile so much in pictures and racing, because I, that's the truth. I'm having a goddamn time of my life out there. I mean, is it all rosy and pretty? No. I mean, yeah, when I'm not hitting the times I want, I'm not going to be all happy either, but there's a lot of good that comes from running. And if there's somebody out there standing on that course and they're going to yell my name, Central Park Track Club, or if they know me, they're going to go run. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I'm going to give them love back times a hundred. I'm going to scream and I'm going to yell and I'm going to jump. And I don't know. Life is too short. If we don't learn anything from what's going on with COVID-19, man, you better like reassess like your life, your situation, like what makes you happy. Running makes me happy. I don't need anybody to be with me, but I am a lot happier when we're doing group runs. I'm a lot happier when I can do group hugs with everybody. I'm a lot happier when I can do a huge group selfie and go eat a brunch like we did because it's the connection, man. It's community. And, you know, these relationships that we forge, you know, when we're struggling, you know, I know like, hey, I could reach out to Darcy. I can reach out to Greg. I can reach out to Amanda. I could reach out to somebody else and just say, man, you know, I don't know what I've gotten myself into here, but <laughs> I got to run six marathons. I don't know how I'm going to do this. But, you know, when I talk to, you know, my close groups, you know, of friends like Greg and people like that, they'll just be like, dude, you're like, you'll do it, man. I know you'll do it. You'll, I have all the faith in the world. Like there's no one in the world I would bet more on that you're going to do it. But I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to, but you know what? Each one, 
you check it off. You're like, okay, I got this done. I got that done. So you figured out that you were overtrained. You figured out that you were too stressed out. You figured out that you were basically putting yourself in a state of exhaustion. No one on earth can be a good teacher, be a good parent, be a good runner, be a good partner, be a good anything when they're in a state of exhaustion. We need sleep. We can't function without it. We don't. Uh, some of us need less than others, but we sure as hell need sleep. And you're not going to perform well doing workouts, you know, trying to do what somebody else is doing. And that's not a knock on Rogue or any other training group that you're working with or a coach. Like we have plans that are scripted for us and they fall within ranges, right? All of these things, um, they have a range. You want to run this, you're going to need to run between this amount of miles and that. And you're going to need to do this long run between, guess what? One size doesn't fit all. You know who knows you best? You. That's who knows you best. You got to tap into your own you know, abilities as a teacher, you've got the, all this skill that you bring to the table as a teacher, you know yourself better than anybody else. Take a couple of extra days off. You know what? Scratch a seven mile recovery run. You know what? It's called a recovery run for a reason. You know what that means? Slow, easy. Guess what? Don't run. Do you really need seven miles? Do you really need to hit 50 for the week or 60? Sometimes not running is better than actually doing a slow run. And Conversely, sometimes doing that slow run is way more important because you just need that therapeutic feeling of going out the door. I know how many times where I've just been in a dark spot through this time and just making myself, no, no, you're going running, okay? I don't care. I don't care how slowly you go. I don't care. It just doesn't matter. I don't care. I, I, you know, Same thing you said, no watch. I'm going. I need to go. It's for mental health. So um, in that sense- we're on the same page there. So how did we get from that moment? Your and by the way, what did you call your P? What did you call your PR? What was the adjective you used to describe it? Sorry, I don't have a rewind button. You said what did you what did you call it? My PR? Did I say? So? I don't remember. No, you, you used a word. You're like you know, meaning like it was like a small PR, or a minuscule PR. It was a two minute PR. That's not whatever word you used. It's not the proper word. So you're the teacher. So I'm going. I'm a crossword guy, man. There's, you're not getting off the hook with that. I'll, I'm going to listen to this when it's over. I'm going to be like, what? A two minute PR is a big PR. Okay, I'm sorry. So let's start there, because that's your psyche, that's your state of mind, and that's what you need to work on because. You know the value you bring as a teacher and as a parent to your children. You got to, your mind space and your mental space is what you need to work on the most, okay? So you got to just give yourself grace. You talk, We talked about this before we came on about grace and grading and teachers, or maybe we talked about when we're on, I, I'm losing track. It's, you know, I'm old, so I can give myself a pass, or at least I think I can. Um, but at this point, you got to, in your case, I think it's all about the mental. It's way about more about the mental side. And as far as we talked about with you, you needed to get away, you know, just from that group and, you know, what you felt was being put upon you or the expectations or whatever. So you weren't in a good spot. And then you were evaluating a whole bunch of coaches. Talk a little about that process and then how you ultimately, you know, chose the coach that you're working with today, who I know, but you can just like tell us a little about that. Uh, yeah, it was a long process. Again, you know, important decision, got to mull it over and, and beat the dead horse over and over again. But I really went really methodical with it. Um, I started just in my phone making this 
list of, it was really two lists. One, like, what are my, what are my requirements? What, what are, what am I going to say no to? What's too much for me? What, what are the limits that I can work within? And, you know, that was, you know, this is how many days I can go. This is how many miles I can do. These are the races I want to, to run. These are the times I want to get to. Um, I wanted to be really clear with whoever I chose to work with that this is me and this is who I am. And you need to choose me and invest in me if you're going to be my coach as much as I'm going to choose you and invest in you. So that was one list. The second list was, what do I need from that coach? You know, do I want someone who's going to give me tough love or do I want someone who's going to, you know, pat me on the back and say, it's okay. Or do I need someone in the middle? And, um, so I really reflected on that. I spent a lot of runs without headphones. You know, I'd whip out my phone in the middle of the run and be like, oh, I can't forget, you know, this person needs to, needs to do this or, you know, whatever. Um, started making lists of coaches, you know, basically anyone on, on Insta who's a coach, they went on my list at some point and went through and researched them, look at their website, found athletes they were coaching and, you know, what their athletes were saying, did a lot of IG stalking, probably more than I'm proud of. Um, but I think it's worked out and, and really just kind of worked through all of those pieces. i wasn't willing to just jump into working with someone to work with them for three weeks and say, this isn't a good fit. I wanted someone who, you know, my goals are big. I, I want to qualify for Boston and I want to run Boston wearing that bib, like, you know, that I earned, um, nothing against charity runners, but I remember watching Boston for the first time and saying to myself as, you know, I was a five and a half hour marathoner when I first started and I said, I'm going to get there one day and I'm going to get there one day. It's going to take me longer than I think I plan, but I'm going to get there. And, you know, I've got time to take off and I want someone who believes in me that I can get there, but who also is willing to take that approach to get me there in a way that's healthy. Yeah, I can cancel plans and, you know, be a crappy mom and a crappy teacher for a year and, and I can get there and earn that bib but I'm not going to enjoy it. And I think that's something that I really learned from that process is, you know, goals are great and you got to have big goals, but you have to enjoy them too. Um, so all that being said, I had, um, I mean, COVID was a great time cause I was home and I had time to sit on the phone with all of these coaches and just kind of hash out, you know, here's who I am. Tell me, you know, these are the things that are important to me. Tell me where you stand on these. And, we are so lucky that there are so many amazing coaches out there that work with amateur athletes. It was not an easy decision by any means. I had a list of, you know, my top five that I just kind of sat with. And then, you know, I'd narrow it down to four and, and I couldn't, you know, I was like, I can't possibly fathom how I'm going to pick one. And I just started whittling it away and whittling it away and ended up, um, Lindsay Flanagan is my coach. We've been working together for two weeks. Um, and I think, you know, really like, why did I go with Lindsay? Um, well, I mean, she's an incredible athlete. You know, she's, she's amazing. She's a, she's a name you're going to want to know in the next few years. Cause she's, she's doing big things. Um, so that's, you know, that's really cool. She's my coach, but, um, you know, I, I think more than that, just when you pick up the phone with a coach, 
running, you, you can't wear a mask and running, you know, your friends that you run with, you're showing up with no makeup, you're sweaty, you're gross, you know, you're dry heaving at the corner at the end of an interval. Your coach needs to be able to see that same person too without a mask. And being able, you know, when I picked up the phone and, and we sat down and had our first conversation, it was a conversation that just flowed. It felt like I was talking to someone I had known for a while. She was easy to talk to. I knew at, you know, if I have a bad day, if I have a bad workout, I'm not going to have any trouble going to her and saying, Hey, you know, that didn't work. This is how I'm feeling. You know, I knew that I was going to be able to have that open communication with her. Um, and not that I couldn't have it with anyone else. It just felt easy with her. And then, you know, I know from her training, she trains alone in Boulder and, you know, she lives there with her sister, but she trains alone. She, she left a group and she trains alone and I train alone. I don't have, um, not that I don't have the luxury, I should say, but I make the choice that, you know, on a Saturday, I'm not going to spend an extra hour driving to and from so I can run with a group. That's an hour that I want to spend with my kids. So most of my training is alone. I might run with a group, you know, once, once a month, maybe. Um, but someone who understands what that's like to train alone, to have to grind out a workout by yourself. Um, that's, you know, that's hard to find in, in a coach. Most coaches have groups that they work with. That's a different kind of, of grit that you need to, to understand, you know, that thought process. And I knew, just from my experience and in my history, especially in that last year of running workouts that just felt awful and I was beating myself up with, you know, if I'd run those same workouts with a group, it would have been a different experience. I wouldn't be stopping my watch. You know, I might've fallen off pace and fallen back, but I, I wouldn't have done the things that I did, but I did because I was alone. No one was there to see me. And so having someone who understands that, yeah, no one, no one sees when you stop your watch on the side of the road but I want someone who understands, yeah, I stopped my watch on the side of the road. She can relate to that. And, and that really was like, that was the piece that kind of made her stand out from the other coaches. So we've been working together for two weeks so far. So good. I've had uh, a couple of workouts. I've had a good run, had a bad run, had another good run. So I've gotten her feedback on, you know, in, in two weeks, I've gotten her feedback and her support on, you know, yeah, that's exactly how that workout was supposed to feel. You know, you did get execution of that to, Hey, it's all right. You know, my long run last weekend sucked. It, it was hot. I was dehydrated. She threw out a couple tips at me and, you know, hopefully the next one will be better. And so, so far it seems like a good fit and I'm, I'm excited. Well, it's great that you, you put so much into the process and, you know, it definitely speaks to you as an educator and, you know, taking that whole research track and notes and, you know, creating that process, but why not? Um, this is like hiring, you know, hiring someone for a job. It is a job. It's a really big job. It's something that's important to you or me or any other runner that's out there. And yes, um, we are blessed. There are amazing coaching, you know, coaching athletes and groups that are, that are out there that are amazing. You know, I'm involved with the O'Leary group and, um, you know, there's just so, you know, so many, um, that are out there doing, you know, just great, great things. And, you know, Greg McMillan's a good friend of mine. Um, he's been in the game and doing this stuff since, you know, 
uh, grad school days when he was faxing me workouts, you know, when I first got, got into running. So it's, uh, it's impressive and the depth of coaching has never been better. Um, but in this case, if you guys have that connection, that's wonderful. I think that's exactly what you need. And you got to give yourself more grace just because of your own schedule um, of, you know, when you can fit this all in because your family is everything to you and other people, um, their family's important, but you know, running is a selfish activity. Face it. It just is. We have to, but we need to allow ourselves. Casey talked about that in the show with me, Casey Kolareski. Um, she was the one who used the words to give herself grace and she was, you know, beating herself up like many. And it's not just moms. I was just going through my divorce with my ex was an amazing runner. I wasn't going to give up one minute of my time with Ronnie. And although my ex was an amazing runner and she understood I was going to run with him in the jogging stroller as the same way she would, I just was almost a little worried about telling her, you know, we were going to be spending two hours of our day doing that in Central Park because he was really young. He was only a couple of years old. And, but when I saw his feet flying up and down and his hands going everywhere, like I knew that he was having the best possible time that we could have. I mean, you know, obviously other than other things that we were doing during the day, and you know, maybe one run was that long. Plenty of other runs were, you know, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, whatever, whatever you could squeeze in. But it's great that you have this, you know, connection that you forged right now. And I'm excited to see where it goes. I know you're going to make Boston. I know that. So believe that you're going to make it. You know, you got to, got to believe, you got to believe it with every fiber of your being. And it doesn't matter if it takes a year, if it takes two years or five years, it doesn't matter. You just, you're going to get there. And I think with a great coach like Lindsay, someone who's super talented and, you know, she could make an Olympics team for sure as a marathoner. I mean, she's got an amazing running resume herself. And it's impressive that she's training out there by herself. I did know she was living with her sister because I heard her on another podcast somewhere. I enjoyed the episode. I'm trying to remember which she's on with Lindsay. Lindsay um, who was she on with? I'm trying to remember, but it was a good episode. And, you know, going back to ritual, that uh, Chad Red episode, that's absolutely one of my favorites. Um, I love that episode. And I probably have listened to it about three times myself. So yeah, good, really, really good one. You know, that one's like stored on my phone. I don't even have to go to podcasts for it. It's just like locked up and I could like throw that thing on anytime. So good stuff. Well, is there anything else you want to hit before you know, we close out anything like top of mind, anything important, you know, that you have that we didn't get to, cause we covered a lot of ground, but I always like to give everybody that one last chance before we roll out. If there's something you want to, you want to get to. Um, I think just, just keep running, you know, it, it's hard when there's no races on the calendar. It's I'm almost tired of like, well, you know, when I get on IG of like, Oh, my race was canceled. I've stopped running. Just, just keep running. You don't need a race on the calendar to find joy in the sport. And if your joy is coming from a race on the calendar, then you might want to reconsider why you're running because, um, you know, the race is going to be disappointing and it's not going to be, it could be disappointing. And if you're putting all your eggs in that basket, um, it, it, this might not be the right fit for you. And that's like my biggest pet peeve right now is, is all the focus on racing. It's, you know, Races are fun. It's a great opportunity to connect, to be with the community. It's good to have goals for them. Um, you know, I had a lot of people ask, like, why are you looking for a coach? There, there's no races right now. And it's like, well, there, there will be races eventually. And when they do show up, I want to be ready for them. You know, running, running isn't made in the three months leading up to a race. You, you've got to find 
joy uh, in the process when, you know, when it's not fun, when you're not counting down to an exciting, you know, trip and, and being able to hang out with your friends and, you know, have dinner post-race and celebrate those accomplishments. You can find other ways to enjoy the sport outside of, you know, a medal that goes around your neck because you ran 26 miles. Well said, my friend. Well, this has been an absolute blast to have you on. I have enjoyed this so much and I'm so impressed with what you're doing as an educator, um, working with uh, kids, helping them to overcome dyslexia reading and your HBE running group is just super, uh, super exciting. And I just couldn't be more proud of you for the work that you're doing there as well, because it's going to just make these kids feel so much, you know, just more complete and um, so empowered and and improve their self-esteem and and also just socialization you know that they're out there on the yard they've got to get to school or just all of those like positive things so i can't wait to see where you're able to take that um so we're gonna link all that stuff up in the show notes and try to help in any way that we can with run chat so um god bless it's great to see you miss the littles i want double hugs for both of them and you know the next time i see him we'll overload them with ice cream and God knows how many other treats and uh, best to Joe and um, the rest of your family. And so great to see you and catch up. So uh, thank you so much for coming on and spending time with me. Thanks so much for having me on. Can't wait for the kids to have double scoops of ice cream past bedtime again. <laughs> yeah. They might not go to sleep for like a couple of days, but this is the effect I have on young kids. What could I say? Oh, God. So good to see you, my friend. Um, we always roll out with peace out and always remember to stay in the fight. God bless. Wow, that was great stuff. That episode was packed with so many practical life lessons, uh, so much joy, and just absolutely beautiful things going on. Listening to Darcy talk about her students. Uh, she just lights up uh, and you can just see a glow in her when she's talking about helping them through this journey in life, teaching dyslexic kids and helping, helping them to unlock this puzzle that is reading and writing and spelling and helping them overcome the stigma that's often attached to them that they're dumb and they're not smart and all of these other things that people just... Uh, their misconceptions that are attached to dyslexic kids. So it takes a really special kind of person, someone like Darcy, with uh, great empathy and patience to get in that arena with these children and give them the extra attention that's required to help them break through and have that light bulb go on and just become fulfilled uh, human beings that are going to be positively contributing to society. And it just warms, warms my heart hearing her talk about that with such great pride. So no wonder you'd win Teacher of the Year, Darcy, uh, in 2019 down there in your school, um, recommended and voted on by your colleagues because they recognize the impact you're having as well as your students uh, do, do too. So it's wonderful stuff. And then starting that running group, man, how exciting is that? Um, you know, getting these kids to show up at school a half an hour to an hour early. How difficult is it to get the kids out the door and get to school on time? And they're showing up voluntarily to run around a 0.13 mile loop in the schoolyard to be part of something larger than themselves. 
and what wonderful habits are being taught and instilled, you know, by Darcy and her team. Uh, it's just exciting to hear about that. It just brings me so much joy. And I can't wait to see uh, where they're going to evolve that to. It's already off to a wonderful start. Participation from where they were up to like 250 kids um, rolling out after uh, COVID uh, shuts the schools schools down. But can't wait to see where they evolve that to. And, uh, you know, lastly, on Darcy's own running side, I have such faith in her. I know she's going to break through and get that BQ one day. And I'm excited to follow her journey working with the uh, the great runner, Lindsay Flanagan, who was top 10 in Boston in 2019. Either she was eighth or ninth, I'm not sure, but I know she broke top 10. So I'm really excited to follow the path the two of them will set forward and work on together. It's all all really super exciting stuff. So this was this one was so near and dear to my heart. And it just makes me so happy to to be around people that are having such an impact in their community and spreading joy and love and using running as a way to to spread that message. It's just something that's just so near and dear to my heart. And I love to see more people in other walks of life, you know, take this type of approach to get other people involved in our wonderful sport. So kudos, Darcy. Thank you so much for sharing so many great lessons and and stories with us. Uh, they touched my heart, made me smile, made me laugh, and I know it's going to have an impact on a lot of people, the inspiring work you're doing. So anyone out there that feels like this episode moved them or struck a chord, please share it with your friends. Please take a moment to rate the episode or write a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us find new listeners. It'll help people to hear Darcy's powerful, inspiring story and uh, get more people to uh, join Run Chats and, and become part of our show and our journey to be a platform of positivity. So great stuff, super exciting. And I just want to thank everybody who's been part of our journey to this point. We're 11 episodes in. Uh, excited to keep this thing going. And thanks for being a part of the Run Chats family. And uh, let's keep this thing rolling. Let's build the momentum. So just want to say to everybody, peace out, stay in the fight. God bless. Keep getting out there and lacing them up and do what you got to do to keep it all together. So God bless you all. And let's keep it rolling on Run Chats. <laughs>